Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking the Game podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen Gillespie. And before I introduce our, you know, honored to have special guest today, just prayers up for the Carr family today. I was informed that there was a family emergency. I'm not going to divulge any information out of respect for them. But uh, if you could just keep the, the Carr family in your thoughts and prayers. Um, and with that, uh, Coach, I know it's unfortunate circumstances as to why you're here, but I couldn't think of anybody else better I would like to have here on the show with me to recap the latest news that are going on with the NBA. Coach, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. And once again, man, appreciate you uh, for having me on today. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and uh, it's good for you know, the world that I think that the NBA is back. You know, they took a little bit of a, another short abbreviated hiatus. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's there's a lot of unfortunate things going on in the world right now, man. But, you know, I think that the NBA players deserve a lot of credit that, you know, one, the the, the relaunch of the NBA was highly successful because of the discipline and determination of the, the players and the executives involved. And, you know, that brief little stop that we had in play, I, I certainly felt was necessary. I know that we've talked about it, you know, a little bit at length uh, on the Off the Ball Network, which is a you know, where you're from, we're both colleagues there. And, uh, you know, it's good to have games back, man. Yeah, it, very much so. And like you said, it was a situation that was needed. It was a nice little, you know, thing where they, you know, it's, it's a good thing. That, and those guys really realized that, hey, we do hold the leverage. So, you know, we're not afraid to do this again if our demands aren't met. So it's one of the things where you look at it and it's like, you know what, you understand it and we can, you know, and we can move forward. A hundred percent. And with that being said, I feel like that's a perfect opportunity for us to be able to move forward. And we could talk about the four games that have happened since the NBA restarted. And, you know, three of the four came yesterday. We'll get to the one that happened today a little bit later in the show. But we'll just recap and walk through each of the games. And coach will just kind of follow the same format that Austin and I do. We'll talk about some of the things that happened. We'll talk about the statistics and kind of the tales of the tape, if you will, and then we'll just give our give our takes on what we thought happened and what we can expect moving forward. Yeah. All right, right on. So first game right off the cuff is Milwaukee versus Orlando. You know, Milwaukee finally advances after that little upset that they had in the first game. Coach, what was your thought about that? We didn't have you on the show to discuss kind of the series anyway, but. The uh, game one. About yes. That? Yeah, yes, I sir. just knew it was a mirage, and it's one of the things where it's like they did this last year against Toronto, and I mm-hmm. remember having the same, like, oh, no, like, Toronto's in trouble, but they end up winning the, the, the championship. So, you know, it's one of the things where you look at it, you know, it's just a mirage, and it just happened. And I guarantee you, if, if, if Orlando's in this pretty good next year, I'm literally – I will literally bet the house for them to win the game one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're you're right, man. I mean, they it it seems like it's their duty over the past two years just to wake up the potential NBA champion. You know, we you, you just mentioned that the that the Raptors were the beneficiary of getting poked by Orlando early, yeah. and I'm sure Milwaukee's kind of looking for the same results, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Well. Going back to this last game, Game 5, it happened on the 29th, which we, which we mentioned earlier was yesterday. And the result was Milwaukee beating Orlando 118-104. to Coach, you know, Aaron Gordon continued to miss time. He didn't play at all that series. 
You know, Chris Middleton had a big game, 21-10-7, 43% from the floor, 37.5% from deep, and 80% from the line. He was kind of MIA the first few games until the fourth quarter of last game. What were your thoughts about how Middleton performed? Hey, he, he, he performed very well, and that's another thing, too, where their success hinders on him. Because, like you said, another game, I think he scored with 18 out of his 21 points mm-hmm. in that fourth quarter. And yep, remember, game it four. was kind of looking like it was looking a little rocky in that game. So, Chris Middleton, he has to live up to his Bleacher Report eighth ranked. <laughs> so, you know, that's right. Essentially, to win, especially to have success, especially going down the line, you know, when we're talking about like uh, Miami, and then if they advance to the next round, they have to have a, just as a solid effort as as uh Giannis you know he you know he's just as important than you know he he's the, he's the robin assistant to this team he has mm-hmm. to perform at a high level of this team it wants to be successful yeah and we saw that was part of the reason why Orlando was able to upset Milwaukee in the opening game and while there were a couple closer than probably comfortable games in the series because Middleton didn't perform well Giannis though in game 5 up to his usual his usual performance, right? He had 28, 17, and 3. Shot 64% from the floor, 50% from 3, yeah. and 60% from the free throw line. Coach, when people, when you hear the criticism about Giannis, especially when it comes from a peer like a James Harden who says, I wish that I was 7 feet tall and all I had to do was run and jump. When you watch a game like this from Giannis and ultimately, to me, it kind of encapsulated his performance of the year. He's not just a runner and jumper, right? I feel like that criticism is a bit unwarranted. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that can can do it all. And that's the thing where I hate it when James Harden said that because at the end of the mm-hmm. day, it's like, why would you say something like that? I wish I was seven feet tall. Like, why? Like, <laughs> he's doing his job. Like, like the Milwaukee Bucks are, are the best team in the East for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and the league, you know, as far right. as record. Right. And we're talking about and now he's added the defensive player to his mantle. So he's more than just what you what you would assume he was. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, like you said, as like maybe like, you know, people in the media might say it because you think because sometimes some people have biased opinions. But when it comes for your peers, it's just to me, it's just downright disrespectful. Yeah, 100 percent. And what I look at from his stat line, 50 percent from deep. You know, he doesn't need to shoot seven, eight three-pointers in a game. He just needs to give you, you know, a good, you know, three to five attempts a game just to keep a defense honest, and he can can hit, you know. It's not a a one-off, right? Like, he's continuously improved every season. He promised that he was going to do that at the end of last year. Regardless that he won the MVP, he was like, that doesn't mean as much to me as a ring. I'm going to come back better, and I think that he's done that. Right. Yeah, and if we look at the rest of the game, you know, poor Nikola Vucevic, right? He he had a, a down game of sorts in this last game. He finished with, you know, 22, 15, and 5, but he was pretty inefficient, right? Because as the center and their best player, you know, it, it's hard in today's NBA to do everything for everyone. You know, he shot 36% from the field, 30% on 10 attempts from deep, and 50% from the free throw line, only shot one of two there. You know, how bad is it for the Magic that their best offensive creator is their center with a limited offense? It's bad. I mean, I wouldn't say I feel bad for Steve Clifford and the crew, but 
Yeah, and that's one thing where too, it's just it's just very unfortunate. I think Orlando really has to go back to the drawing board and see what they can do in the offseason because like you're saying, he's another guy who because uh, has he has he made an all-star team? Come think about it. Yes, he has. He was an all-star last season. Last, I think was his yeah. first time. Yes. Yeah, and I remember we because and we used to. And I remember years. He, you know, he's been doing this for at least about what got good three, four years. Three, four years at this and, level. Yes. Yeah, we were like, well, God, like he, if he was on another team, he would be a, a perennial all-star. Mm-hmm. And you know, like you said, going to somewhere like Orlando where you're you're limited, which is the weird thing mm-hmm. is. That should that should that should really stick out to people. But yeah, he's 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 by far yeah. I, mean, I feel for him, and you know he definitely needs some help down there in Orlando. And hopefully, uh, the powers that be in Orlando can you know definitely give him somebody. You know. Yeah, I agree. And when you look at the rest of the guys that performed for you know for for the Magic, only four other players were in double figures. You know, Fournier was was second leading. I believe he had like 16 or 17 points. Augustine, Fultz, and Ross, they were all on double figures, but no one eclipsed 20 very often for the Magic. And when you're expecting that out of your seven-foot center, night in and night out, and you don't have the floor spacing around him on top of that, to me, I just thought it was kind of miraculous that he was able to do anything against the Bucks because they kind of limit the interior. And you could imagine if he had weapons around him to – kick the ball out to like I said he finished with five assists I think I think in one game he had seven and that's with a limited offense I mean you kind of have to be encouraged by how well he performs in this series yeah because you look at Milwaukee like you said they clock up the lane like mm-hmm. I, it was interesting that when they were saying because <clears throat> you know I really wasn't on the Giannis defensive player of the year boat, but then I read a stat <clears throat> when he's in the lane there's like a 41% like success rate as far as like, you know, as far as um, opponents mm-hmm. score at a 41% clip. And I'm like, well, well, you would deem would be maybe a 70, 80, almost a damn near guarantee when you have in, in you know, in, in that, in that space, but 41%, that's crazy. That's almost like that makes you be like, Oh, I, I can't go in this lane. Cause yeah, I'm not just shooting three. Well, not only him, right, but you have Brooke yeah. Lopez, who's been okay. a menace in the paint, right? And you got you got a number of good perimeter defenders there too, with like Bledsoe right. and, and DiVincenzo. But the Bucks, you know, they had they obviously had help outside from their you know their their two guys there. Four other players were in double figures, including Brooke Lopez, Marvin Williams, George Hill, and Eric Bledsoe. How about this, Coach? The the Bucks were six percent better from the floor, but shot the ball six less times. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Efficiency. Efficiency. That's and all that's it is. Too, where you know you look at that type of stuff. It's it's all about efficiency. Mm-hmm. What you can do, what you do with those possessions. You know, you can have it's, it's essentially it's quality over quantity. What do you do with opportunities? Hundred percent. And here's another interesting stat. Right in this series, uh, you know, Austin and I we've talked about the Bucks and. You can't really fall in love with them in this opening round, right? Because they're playing against the Orlando Magic. In their next round, they're projected to, you know, they're obviously going to be playing the Miami Heat. That's going to be a whole other animal, and we can talk about that more here in a second. But one of the big areas that I picked the Bucks apart in is, you know, what I what I like to call winning stats. And one of those winning stats is the free throw percentage. In yesterday's game, they were 22 of 27, which is 81%. That was the first time in the entire series that they shot the ball over 80% from the free throw line. 
And that's going to be an area that they had to improve to win. And I'm glad that I saw that in this because I just I feel like Miami is going to put a hurt on them, right? But real quick, back to the Bucks. The Bucks were one percent better from the three point line. I'm sorry, the Magic were one percent better than the Bucks from the the three point line. But they made the ball one fewer times, and they shot the ball less than the Bucks too. So not only were the Bucks getting that that quality that you were looking at, but they were also getting quantity, especially from deep, and that's an area where Milwaukee can hurt you. Yeah. And then uh, just another a couple quick stats there, Coach. You know, the Bucks also had uh, nine more rebounds than the Magic. They had five more assists, three less turnovers, ten more points in the paint, and four fewer fouls. Those are what I like to call winning stats right there, Coach. What do you think about that? Absolutely. It's – it's yeah, those are the type of stats that you will, you know, those type of things you would win. It's almost like a like you look at turnover margin. You know, when that do a football analogy, but when you have a turnover margin, you know, that's over that exceeds ten plus, you're gonna win games. And this is in these type of stats, even you know, in 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 basketball, you're like, yeah, you. I mean, you gotta think about it. That's like we said, efficiency, and that's what you know. That's what happens. Is that's a, a great recipe for a win. Absolutely. My key takeaways from this series, though, especially this game, is that it was good to see Middleton play really well, something that he'll need to do, especially in the next series. He can't go missing against Miami coach. Oh, no. He, he just can't do that. You know, the free throw percentage was high, but Giannis only shot 60% from the line. Now, this is an area, again, against Miami, who does have championship experience with their head coach and Eric Spolstra. They have a winning player and Jimmy Butler. They have just dogs all around them. You know, they're probably going to look in close games to put the ball in Giannis's hand at the free throw line in order to try to win games. You would have to imagine that that's a strategy instead of just letting him just get buckets late in a game at the at the paint, Coach. Yeah. Yeah, Milwaukee here, yeah, this isn't Orlando. This is going to be a, a, whole, a whole different animal where, you mm-hmm. know, you know, you're dealing with, like you said, Jimmy Butler, um, you know, Duncan Robinson, his cl- hit clutch shots, Kendrick Nunn. You got these young guys, Bam. You mm-hmm. know, you got a lot of good, solid Andre Iguodala, uh, former MV- MV- uh, Finals MVP. Correct. And, you know, <laughs> this team is – this, and that's one thing, too, where it scares me with, like, a Milwaukee team. Are they going to be able to handle this type of depth? They have depth on, them, on their own, but still, that, this type of depth where – you look at it. This Miami team is scary. We we talked about this even you know prior to, um, you know prior to the playoffs. We're like they're a team that we wouldn't be surprised if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals or hell even make it to the finals because right they're that type of team. And you got like you said, you got a guy like a Jimmy Butler, who is is pretty much the, the, the tough guy. He's gonna be the one that's gonna and everybody plays for him. Everybody will run through a wall from him because he's the type of guy that commands that type of leadership. Yeah, 100%. And he's very aggressive, too. You know, he's not the most efficient scorer in the NBA, but what he does to a team is that he puts them in foul trouble. He finds all sorts of ways to get to the free throw line, and that's going to be huge against against a uh, Milwaukee team that's going to look to try to seal up the paint. So you could imagine that Jimmy's going to probably put a couple guys, like maybe even a Giannis, maybe a Brooke Lopez, maybe a Chris Middleton, you know, put them in foul trouble, and then we'll have to see what a, a guy like uh, Connaughton coming off the bench will do or what a guy like DiVincenzo will do. Bledsoe putting the game in his hands. He's 
had been known to disappear in the playoffs a little bit, right? So that's yeah. a that's something that you'll have to keep an eye on. But for the Magic in this series, you know, it's nothing really anything that I was surprised at, you know, especially without Aaron Gordon, who, you know, is a pretty solid defender and he's a, a very great, he's a very good athlete. Um, and I just, again, it's hard for your center to be your best player when you have limited offensive teammates. You know, I, f- I feel like the Magic played above their heads a little bit in this series and it still wasn't enough. And I think that we saw, you know, obviously we saw that play out. I mean, and the thing with, you know, Orlando, it's like every year, unfortunately, you know, they play very hard, but it just their, their effort wasn't good enough. And now you look at this team, well, we've been in this 7 8 yeah. for, 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 you know, a consistently time. Like, when is the time that we, when is, when are we going to make that leap? When, you know, you're seeing other teams that kind of, and that's how leapfrog does, you know, because, well, uh, Miami, they leapfrogged them. I mean, mm-hmm. we just have leapfrogged them. And you're like, Indiana. Okay. And you're like, okay, well, what's next for us? Like, you know, I know, I understand, you know, because I always say to me, the worst part, the worst thing of being in the NBA in a sense is being seventh, eighth in a conference. Because mm-hmm. it, you can go either way. You know, you can either go up or do you rebuild? Like, it's almost kind of remind me of like what Philly did in 2012, where they just, re- just blew everything up and yeah. started. "Quote unquote process," and now you're looking at will Orlando and do another seven, eight seed again in the East next year? Have the same situation? Well, we'll be talking next year. Oh, well, the Magic fought valiantly; they they played very hard, but they didn't advance to the to the next round. So now, what's next for this team? Yeah, you're right. And then on the flip side of that argument, you know, we're talking about the competitive argument here, right? But then there's also the financial aspect. It's always good for your team to make the playoffs no matter what seed you are because you're making more money you're getting more revenue things like that you're showing your fans that you're competitive you're in the playoffs right so it's a it's a you have to get buy-in from basically everywhere yeah yeah and from there we can go ahead and go to the next series coach which is houston and oklahoma city what have you thought about this series so far before we get into the game five this is gonna be a seesaw Mm-hmm. This is the ultimate seesaw matchup, and it's funny. And because I kept on like, well, and then got Russ. OKC has a legitimate shot. And then you know we did the show on Wednesday, and we was and the first thing, and it's funny. I'm, before I even uttered my mouth, you you said it, and I was like, Russ was dressed, he was ready to go. I was like, you seen that too? I was like, yep. oh, now this series is going to change significantly. <laughs> Yes, but yeah, and I mean it was it's you know it's still a still a great series. Um, still okay. See, I mean this is whatever happens, even if you know they lose tomorrow, it's still a great season because a lot of us. I was you know last year I was like, oh well, Chris Paul will probably opt out, probably go to Miami. You know, yeah. they have you know have a shell of a team, but get they, bought out, go to the Lakers, right? And they mm-hmm. did just as good as they did with Russell Westbrook and Paul George, yep. <laughs> like, which is amazing. And we were like, well, oh, they're going to be paying Chris Paul $45 million. And what is OKC doing? And, you know, even though it is kind of a, a high price tag, but you still got to think to yourself, like, wow, like what this team has done is just amaz- amazing. And then, like, their three-guard lineup is just it's out of this world. It's amazing. Yeah, and what what I've kind of noticed, and I've spoken with Austin about this, you know, over the past few games, is that 
the coaching adjustment in this matchup is going to be huge, right? Because we have two well-respected coaches, but I don't think that they're like top five. They're kind of like that maybe seven to 12 range somewhere in there. Um, you know, D'Antoni, obviously, you know, widely regarded as being an offensive genius. And then Billy Donovan, you know, we've never really seen him get to exercise his coaching ability that well because he's always had high superstar level talent. This year, he's got, you know, a seasoned vet, part of that maybe salt and pepper squad that you so proudly, yep. you know, hold a membership to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you got Chris Paul, who, you know, still doing his thing. To me, he's still performing well. He's my second team All-NBA team um, this year based off of his play and his impact. But everybody else, right, like Gallinari's a nice player. Maybe in the Eastern Conference, he could have been an All-Star once or twice. You know, Steven Adams is a fine player. Uh you know, SGA, I think, is going to be a future kind of maybe second-tier star, uh, maybe even in that upper echelon. We'll see. But, you know, it's been a, a good year. They, to me, I think they played above their heads. But when you got Chris Paul as the leader on your team, I'm not really surprised that they're in the playoffs, even in a tough West. And, you know, that's kind of been... That's kind of been where I've been at this entire thing is, you know, what are the coaches going to do? And I thought in Game 4... We saw a great adjustment adjustment by Billy Donovan to put Lou Dortz in with that three-guard lineup. So you basically have four guards, and then you have Danilo Gallinari as your small ball five, and everyone's like, oh, no, like Houston's getting out small balled by OKC, who also has great you know post players as well. And then we just saw another excellent like counterpunch by D'Antoni in this game, Coach, where, you know, they sagged off of Lou Dortz almost the entire game. He was 0 of 9 from deep. They, and Yeah, go ahead. They was giving him the green light. Like, yep. it was so crazy. I was like, please beat was, us. And then he goes, Shaq, <laughs> crazy. I was like, oh, he got a good form. I'm like, no, no, it was, um, oops. yeah, it was Shaq that said he had a good form. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, you can't. Yeah, they was giving him the green light. And it was so funny. And that's another thing where you say it's a chess matchup mm-hmm. where you're like, oh man, that's, that's crazy. Like, and he was, and he was going for it too. And it was funny because Charles was like, "Well, he got the ball. Tell him don't shoot." <laughs> well, it's crazy. The game before he hit three threes. So it's like, how much? How much do you account for like one game's performance? Is it a was it a one off that he hit that many threes in the night before, or is it a one off that he was just, you know, couldn't hit anything? You know, the the truth is probably somewhere in the middle there. But, you know, looking over the Game 5 statistics, Russell Westbrook did play. And to my displeasure, he did not meet the performance that I thought that he would. You know, Coach, I'm not one of the guys that gets caught up in the narrative and, like, how a narrative will affect a player's play. But Westbrook is very much a narrative-based player. You know, he's one of those guys that's, like, seeing his one of his best friends struggle on the court without him. You know, he's hearing all the buzz about, you know, you know, was he worth the trade and the draft picks to get Chris Paul out of Houston to make James Harden happy? So he's hearing all this noise, and he comes in, and I'm thinking he's going to do great. But he only gives you 7-7-6. Seven, seven, he's 23% from the floor, hit zero of his three-point attempts, and only was 50% from the free throw line. Yep. Should we read too much into that, Coach, or is this him just getting his legs underneath him? Probably just more so. I think it's just his legs, just getting, mm-hmm. trying to get get back into the groove. But game six is going to be telling, and yeah. that's going to be the thing that's really where Houston. You literally had an opportunity to just close it out. 
because I, I'm telling you, if this game go game seven, it can go either way. And that's the spooky thing about it all is this is different. This ain't there's no home court advantage. Game mm-hmm. seven is game seven. Yep. <laughs> like it's not a you know, you know, most people be like, Well, you know, you got the home court advantage. No, you have nothing. Like y'all are on a neutral court, and this is game seven. And I'm like, this could be dangerous. It very well could. And getting back to the other players in this game, James Harden had 31, five and two, shot 73% from the field, 50% from deep, 83% from the free throw line. Covington and uh, Eric Gordon showed up to the party too. Both of those guys had over 20 points. How about for Oklahoma City, coach? Zero players had over 20 points for the Oklahoma City Thunder in this 114-80 to 80 loss. And that's a problem. Exactly. That's a problem. Yep. And, we, yeah. Schroeder had 19. CP3 had 16. Those were your two highest scores. You had other guys show up and, and, and give you a little bit of buckets here and there, too. We talked about Dort only had six points. He was 18% from the floor, 0 of 9 from deep. Did not attempt, you know, a single free throw. And how about this? Houston, you would think that by this victory that they were just automatic from the floor. Houston was only 43% from the floor, which is decent, but it's not like it It usually doesn't equate to a, a 30-point win, right? When you see a right. team shoot 43%, it's usually like a, maybe like a 12-point win, something like that, right? Right. And when you look at the rest of these stats, right, Houston was almost 40% from three on 48 attempts, you know, a mild step back from that 58 attempt that they put up to set a playoff high. Um, OKC was only 15% from deep, and they shot the only they only shot two fewer three-pointers than Houston did. So you talked about that efficiency earlier with Milwaukee, right? Um, you know, Houston was only 64% from the line, how about OKC was only 65% from the line, but on 23 attempts. And then back to these winning stats, Coach. Houston had three less rebounds, but they had 17 more assists, seven less turnovers, 10 more points in the paint, but they did commit 11 more fouls. So when you look at how the, a little bit of give and take, so to speak, from these win stats, what I like to call them, yeah. but man, 17 more assists, that leads to points. Seven less turnovers, that gives you more opportunity at points and the other team less opportunity, right? Ten more points in the paint. This is a small ball Houston Rockets team, but they're outscoring Oklahoma City multiple times in this matchup from the inside. What does that, what does that tell you about how Houston's playing? Officially. I mean, they're playing, mm-hmm. they're playing smart. And like you said, 17 more assists and seven less turnovers. Like, that is a world of difference when you think about it. Eight, that's 34 points off of assist. Mm-hmm. The difference. And look at it. They lost by 34. So you look at that and you're like, you know, those type, like you said, these are what you call winning stats. And this is where, what I, you know, like you said, the, the proof is in the, in the stats, you know, yeah. that, with the stats. But, yes. You know, <laughs> but, but like you said, you see that, and you see that's the difference. And then, like, the turnover disparity. Like, what you said, seven less turnovers. And you think about it, and turnovers generally creates points. So, mm-hmm. you know, so it could be a situation where that's what you think. If, you know, seven less turnovers and you get 17 more assists, that right there lets you know, like, 
efficient ball. You know, the ball moved very well. Mm-hmm. And they were able to score. So yeah, and like you said, that's good for a, a small ball team like like Houston. And and you can think about it, you didn't get much from Russ, which that's another thing too. That's man. the big thing, and you won that, by yes. that much. Yes, because normally we were like, if 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 we would have had a crystal ball prior to the game and said, well, you know, Houston will win by thirty four, but Russ won had seven points. We'd be like, you lying? Like he might as well even play. And would you pick Robert Covington to be the second leading scorer for the night? Right. And that's another thing, too, where this is another game where you're like, this, you know, this is something you're like, it's, it's really, you know, weird because, we, you know, we definitely, if, if someone would have been like, hey, guess how much Russ would have had in a 34-point 34 win? 20-plus? 30? Yeah, at 40? least. Like, you would think, like, oh, he took over the game and, you know, but no. But it's another thing where it's just, it's, this has just been a very like strange game, like because we was a point we like okay because at first, oh Houston looks great, mm-hmm. then like game three we're like okay, then they lose and because they lost in overtime was it game three or game four was in overtime? I game think. three went into overtime, overtime and yeah, that's and when was, Oklahoma City took over took in over, that game. Yeah, and that's three. when they took over the series where you like you know because I remember we talked about it what that first, after game two we were like well. Houston was the team that really surprised us, and then correct. That's what that's what thing I love about like the playoffs, especially in this particular minute where what you know one at one you know one show we could talk about a team, and then the next it's totally different. And that's what thing that's what the beauty about the playoffs where you have a team where we're like, oh well, they we project them to be you know we like we some of us was calling sweep. I don't know if we said it on the show, but part of me was like, hmm, this might be a sweep. Yeah, you were at least thinking it because that's the direction that other series were going. And, right. you know, you things like, you know, being in a in an in an area where you don't have a home court advantage, you know, where you have teams that have had more rest than others depending on when they last played. You know, maybe this is something, you know, if you fast forward to the future and then look back at how everything went, you could have been like, okay, there was kind of a little bit of a trend that we could have said, okay, yeah, it makes sense why Houston would sweep OKC based off what we saw other teams doing, right? So, yeah, I think that that's totally plausible. And then Oklahoma City, I talked about how Houston gave up 11 more fouls. But for OKC, right, they shot 65% from the free throw line on 23 attempts, you know, which means that they were picking the right people to foul, you know, when they were selective on, you know, preventing an easy basket in the paint and things like that. Or you know, stopping a quick turnover possession. So, I mean, look at these winning stats. My biggest takeaways was you know, obviously Westbrook didn't have as big as an impact as I thought that he was going to have, right? Um, at least statistically. But I mean, it goes to show you though, just having him back yeah. in a 30, 30 point win, it had to have meant something, even though it didn't really translate statistically, you know. And you look at everything else, right? You know, I thought that Houston, the way they they countered Dort, who was, you know, deemed that that hardened stopper because he did it in the regular season, he was doing it in the playoffs. The way that they countered him and was just like, "Hey, Bubba, you're gonna have to beat us tonight. You know, you're gonna you're gonna have to be the star for OKC to beat us, right?" And you know, I think looking forward, I think that Houston wins this series because I don't see. OKC winning consecutive games against Houston. I think that that's going to be a tall ask, uh, you know, with especially with that demoralizing 30-point loss. You know, how's Dort going to feel being a rookie and still going to be asked to cover James Harden and still going to have to be on the court for them to win? 
you know, how how does he counter counter that mental block, you know? Yeah. Yep. And we can go ahead and move on from there into the last game from yesterday. You know, much like the Milwaukee Bucks did, the Los Angeles Lakers finally put away the Portland Trailblazers four to one and a one thirty one to one twenty two victory. You know, this is a game that they didn't have. Damian Lillard, he was out, you know, with a couple little little bang up injuries and here's my beautiful wife saying did your homework babe good job love you sweetie thank you so much for the support you know this is the type of love that i get on my show it may just be from my wife but i'll still take it you know love is love that's right man yes yes indeed it's yes cherish it oh i I certainly do she is the bomb.com and a smoke show all wrapped in one (laughs) and i love you baby but yeah back to back to this uh la portland matchup you know Dame Lillard was banged up with a couple injuries, and you know he he ended up leaving the bubble. You know, CJ McCollum, Mister Spinal himself. You know that post game was hilarious, but I think people forget that he's literally playing with a broken back and still right. balling. Right? Right. It's insane to me that people are like, oh, you know, they're they're choking and they're not doing things like that. And I'm getting more love back from the misses. So, yeah. right on. I, people kill me. I hate the internet for that. <laughs> yeah, like, dudes literally has a broken back, and he's <laughs> he's still playing. <laughs> and maybe maybe Damian Lillard gets beat up a little bit off of this, Coach, because it's like, okay, bro, you got a hurt knee and a hurt leg, or a hurt finger, but your teammate has literally a broken back, and he's still yeah. in the game. Do you think that he gets any, you know, um, slander from that? He ought not to because what's and what it is, and I'm glad Portland did what they did. Let him fly home because mm-hmm. we we didn't want anything catastrophic to happen. Because now to have a type of injury that could have potentially happened, he would be out the following year, and then maybe a chunk, a little small chunk, going into 2021, 2022. Because you think about it, if if we're thinking about the A word. Mm-hmm. He's out for at least a year, mm-hmm. guaranteed. So he wouldn't be available until literally probably September of twenty twenty one, and that's yep. ju- right. So part of me, yeah, he might get slacked on the internet, but at the end of the day, I was so glad, like you know, he went he went home, and it's mm-hmm. like because you don't want him to be like you said, he wouldn't even play last night and would have got hurt. He'd have been like almost, you know, so. You know, it's one of the things, and then like CJ, CJ McCollum, that was just that's just admirable, and, I, and it's crazy because I remember saying, "Yeah, with a broke back," and I'm like, "He don't need to be there." Like, I don't like, and that's another thing too, where you're like, and that's another thing where you know, I was like, "That's amazing." Like, I mean, to have that type of fight, you know, and, and that's kind of like the point that I was bringing up, though, Coach, was that you know, yeah, sure, it's smart to protect. Damian Lillard, right? But you literally have his teammate with a broken, broken back. back. Still, a- like it could be to a point where he can his career could could be in effect. Even if you know, yeah, I like, and that's one thing too. That's that's weird, like how will Portland would have him there with a broken back because, and it's crazy because when I heard about it last night, I'm like, well, why is he still on the floor? Like he should have flew back with Dane. It's, like, yep. Because to me, I'm like... Because they didn't have any chance, man. They didn't have yeah. any chance to come back. They didn't back. have any chance. And I mean, and it's admirable what, they, what they've done. But, you know, that's another thing, too, where those guys, they, they were breaking down. I mean, you know, they were playing 
you know, wall to wall basketball for the last what about a month and a half? Mm-hmm. Well, about a month. It's been all, that's right. It's only damn. It's crazy. It's only been a month. <laughs> right. It feels like it's been a whole other like season, been like right? Two months. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So and they've been playing high level basketball for that, you know. And now it's just the end. They kind of ran out of gas, like you said. And I, I was really, that was like, that's really irresponsible. Portland end, where why would you even have him playing with a Batman? It's, it's admirable, but the same token, you know, you don't, you don't want, you, you don't want this quote unquote hero effort now that could potentially hurt him going forward, going to the next season. Because really, at this point, you worrying about next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think a little bit had to do with the fact that, one, he was probably asked, like, hey, do you want to play? But then on top of that, even with CJ playing with a broken back, they were only they only had nine people that they could play in the game. They only had nine personnel. So you take CJ out, you know, that would have been a lot for, you know, Anthony Simons, you know, on his play and Gary Trent. They would have had zero guard rotation behind those two. Because you already are without Trevor Reza, you're already without Rodney Hood, you know, you, you're without Zach Collins, all these guys in poor Portland, man, like why can they not seem to catch a break at all? I know. <laughs> They're yeah. always the team that always has injuries. Always. Yeah. Greg Oden. Uh, you know, Brandon Roy, like, I mean. Yep, Bill Aldridge Walton. has been baked up. Yep, Bill, Bill Walton is one of the biggest, like, what-ifs as far right. as injuries, rep. And Lightning struck twice with them. But they're two big men, like, and this, And then with Collins. That's another thing, too, Collins. Exactly. I was like, oh, not again. And it's crazy. Like, it almost felt like deja vu. And I was like, he's hurt again. Like, oh, no. Like, he just came back. Yeah. And for their effort, though, you know, getting back to game five, it was ultimately a loss, but, you know, it was a valiant effort. There was a couple times throughout this game where it was close. You know, I think it was tied at one point with about six minutes left in the fourth quarter. And (laughs) Lakers will just say that they came back and showed everybody why they're the number one team in the West and why they're highly favored to win it all this year, right? Yeah. Yeah, and looking at this game, LeBron had – you know, a, another card holder of the salt and pepper gang, just much like yourself, Coach. Your gang, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Salt and pepper gang. Push it real good. But <laughs> LeBron had 36, 10, and 10. He shot 73% from the floor, 57% from deep, and 100% from the free throw line. When's the last time you've seen LeBron James hit 100% from the line? NBA Live. <laughs> 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 yeah, but I mean, a huge big game for him. And how about Anthony Davis? No small potatoes for himself. Forty-three nine and four, seventy-seven percent from the field, sixty-six percent from the three-point line, and eighty-four percent from the stripe. We talked about how Dame was out with several minor minor injuries. How about Mister Spinal himself? Had thirty-six seven and six. He shot fifty-two percent from the from the floor overall. from three and 87.5% from the free throw line. So not only is he just out on the court existing with a broken back, Mm -hmm. but he's balling and he's efficient. Yeah. It's, it's insane to me. Oh, and speaking of salt and pepper gang and speaking of LeBron James, how about Carmelo Anthony? Can we just, We didn't even plan to clap at the same time, and we just did it. That's yeah. that was beautiful. 
Yes. Club 1984, class of 2002. Yes. Hats off to you. <laughs> so Carmelo Anthony finished with 27-7, only had one assist. Starting to look a little bit like old Carmelo Anthony there, right? <laughs> but he had to do that. He had to yes. do that in this game, right? So can't call him selfish because no Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum's playing hurt. Nurkic is, you know, he, he's a really good player, but he's not like a number one on an offense. So Melo stepped in. And how about for efficiency? He shot 56% from the field, 75% from outside, and 85% from the free throw line. Is Carmelo Anthony back to being that, or is he just capable of nights like this every so often? Uh, I wouldn't say he's back. Mm-hmm. But he he can play still at an efficient at an efficient level even at the tender age of thirty six years old. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly, so, yeah. So <laughs> I definitely um, I I'm not gonna say he's gonna he'll be a twenty seven point per game score or whatever like the old Melo, but he's he's efficient. He's perfect for this Portland team. And and, and I think matter of fact, and Chris said it best. He's like, well, you know, <laughs> the Lakers should get Melo, and I'm like. Well, they got Jared Dudley. So. Dude, when you when Jared Dudley comes on the floor on the court, you know the game is over. Okay. And you could you could take that line and do with what you want. Maybe the game was over, and then that's why he checked in, or maybe he's just that good of a player. But when you see Jared Dudley on the court for the Lakers, you know the game's over. Yeah, and this is and that would be a guy for next year when we have have um, butts in the seats. If you see Jared, if you see Jared Dudley, Warrior Cobb and head home. <laughs> yeah, that's when you go. That's when you know that you need to leave and beat the traffic heading home, right? Correct. Yes. <laughs> Back to Carmelo. Uh, it would be very nice to see Carmelo Anthony get a, get a ring. Yeah. I've been critical, just to put it out there, of his play style. You know, his selfish tendencies, things like that. Be that as it may, I will say that going to Portland did a great deal for him because I think that he did understand that. He cannot be the go-to guy. He has to be happy with whatever role an NBA team will give him, right? And they did really choose Dudley over Melo. (laughs) 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 They really chose Dudley over Melo. He was like their first free agency signing, too. It wasn't like, oh, let's try to fill out the roster and see if we can get a nice rotational guy. He was one of the first dudes they signed. And like you said, and I do like you said, and I like Melo. Yeah, he he isn't a isn't a flawed guy. Like he has flaws. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, even going back to the OKC, well, they said P. They said I'm coming off the bench. Like, come on now, really? You're a professional. Yeah, he goes to Portland now, and he's around um, these young guys. And I think he could be he's somewhat like a leader for them. Yeah. I mean, he, he's I think he's. I think he'd be very good for those young guys because Portland really has a nice, I call it a nice eclectic mix of of young talent. Yeah. And I think having a guy like Carmelo who's kind of been around the block in so many different facets, because to me, I look at the role models of the ones who've been through some stuff. Like, who's exactly. through, especially with him. And he, I think he's a, a, it would be a great, like, example of certain things to do and certain things not to do. So, uh, he'll be a do as I do as I say, not as do as do as what I did. Yes, do as what you did, and I could see him. <laughs> and we can talk about this at nauseum. I've I've loved the comeback for Melo this year, but yeah. let's 
before we get criticized of just talking about the Blazers in this matchup, let's get back to the Lakers because they did win. They did advance. They are the number one seed in the West, and they have you may have heard of them, LeBron James, right? Yeah. So let's get back to them before we start getting hated on too much there. So the Blazers had three people that were, and I said that and I talk about the Blazers, right? The Blazers had three players that were in double-digit uh, scoring. We talked about Nurkic, um, you know, our, our guy, Chris LeBron's guy, Trent Jr., just yeah. completely out, outmatched in this in this series, by the way. Like, putting a 200-pound guy on a near 300-pound guy, and it just so happens probably one of the best, if not the best, guys to ever play the game of basketball. Yeah. Probably a tall ask for a guy like Trent Jr. Um, Anthony Simons, I felt like, had a solid game for, you know, a big ask for him to come in and fill that role. And this is where we get to the Lakers and start, you know, giving them their flowers, right? If Kendrick Perkins is listening right now, we're about to give the Lakers their flowers. So, right, the Lakers were 7% better from the floor on five less attempts. That harkens back to what we were just talking about a little while ago, Coach, with the, with the Bucks and the um and the magic right and it's very appropriate because both of these teams were the number one seed in each conference and lost right so to get to that efficiency that we were speaking about the blazers were roughly 10 percent better from the three-point line however they had one less make and nine fewer attempts right both teams it just so happened to be that both teams were 21 of 26 from the free throw line and here comes the winning stats right the lakers did get out rebounded by two but they had seven more assists, two fewer turnovers, 12 more points in the paint, and eight less fouls. Yep. Those are your winning stats, Coach. Yeah. And you'll win some games with those winning stats. Yes. And that's one thing, too, where you look at it and it's like, you know, wow, 12 more points in the paint and eight less fouls, which that's a that's a great recipe for to win, like you're saying, because, you know, Especially points in the paint where you look at it, where you know so those like the key things to have, especially in that series when we got you know guys like you know like Anthony Davis in the paint, mm-hmm. and guys. So you had to take advantage of that type of situation. And I mean, yeah, like I definitely um, you know like those stats uh, for the and they've moved on, you know. They did, and when you when you win the winning stats, you you win the game, right? So, I'm getting a little into my John Madden bag right now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you play to win the game. Turns out that that's why you play a sport is to win, right? So uh, yeah, going getting back to the Lakers. I mean, LeBron James has done this almost his entire career. He is actually still perfect in the first round, has never lost an opening round series. I think it's, what, 14-0 and now, if I'm not mistaken. It's 14-0 and in the opening round. We should not be surprised. Anthony Davis has finally found himself somebody to help him consistently. We've seen both of these guys have, we'll call them subpar games. They're still better than what other... People would wish to have LeBron James and Anthony Davis bad games, right? Like, there's guys in the league that wish they could have those bad games, right? But each of these guys, they played off of each other. That night, though, even though it was a closer game than I anticipated coming out of halftime, I was like, whoa, I cannot believe without Damian Lillard that it's this close of a game. You know what I mean? And even though they closed it out and it was only nine points, you saw that in the last six minutes of this game, why the Lakers are highly considered to to win it all this year, at least coming out of the West, right? Because LeBron James turned up the heat. 
you know, Anthony Davis had it going the entire game. We saw, you know, the other guys come in and, and, and play well, um, regardless of them being criticized for their first couple of games, right? Guys like KCP and Danny Green are starting to turn it around. Alex Caruso made some great effort plays, you know, to, to help put to put away this Blazer team that really had no business being as close as they were, you know, but, you know, shooting luck and things like that, you know, you have to factor into it. What were your biggest takeaways from the game there, though, Coach? Yeah, the Lakers, I think it's, it's one of the things where um, they, they turned it on when they needed it. And like you said, it was it, like you, you know, we were saying in the three, we were saying in the thread last night, like this game is too close. This game shouldn't be this close. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the things where they turned, they turned on the switch and, you know, and they was able to close out the Blazers. But the Blazers, I mean, it was a very commendable effort because, like, I, you know, especially in these elimination games, to me, it's like, you know, it's one, two, three Cancun. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm at a point like at this point, I'm thinking what I'm going to do when I get off the tarmac in Portland. Like, my, I make plans, you know, if I'm in that. Yeah, plan, it's easy to like to pack it in. But. They fought hard and they had a legitimate shot to win this basketball game. And you know, kudos to uh, Portland, but you know, LA just knew they had Lakers knew what they had to do and closed it out. And that's another thing too, where you look at it, where going forward, you know, you know, I don't know if they can have this on and off switch <laughs> per se. So you know, just be careful how you use that switch. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, use the switch as applicable and as you see fit. I mean, if you got LeBron James and AD on your team, though, you yeah. can flirt with the switch more than, than other teams can afford yeah, to. True. It was very important, though, for the Lakers to put the pesky trailblazers away when they did because, true. you know, at worst, they bought themselves two to three, maybe four nights off because we still have to let this next game play out and let you know, another day for, you know, preparation and networking and things like that. So at worst, they maybe bought themselves three nights rest in a, in a, in a bubble where we're seeing guys play every other night. That's huge, especially considering that the Lakers are one of the older teams, albeit one of the best in athletic. They're still one of the older teams in the NBA. It was good for them to put them away. And I'm sure that LeBron James is calling Chris Paul and asking him to win this next game to give them even more time off, right? right? So they can buy into a game seven and they have more time to not only focus with what they're going to do on the court, but we all know how active off, off the court right. LeBron James is. And I'm, he, he, he even openly admitted that he's playing with, you know, 50% effort, well, not effort, but 50% of his focus is on basketball. The other half is, you know, how to help his community, right, coach? Right, Absolutely. And yeah, he's gonna he's gonna call upon his his fellow banana boat bro- brethren. Mm-hmm. To see if if favor can be worked. <laughs> there you go, because he just he just put away one of his guys. I'm sure that he's got to do, yeah. you know, he's he's got to do right by another one of his guys and, and right. call in and ask a favor, right? Uh, yeah. At least at least buy them another couple nights off. Right. Um, my biggest takeaway is where you know the game we already talked about it. The game was closer than what I thought it was gonna be. Um, the Lakers did close very well. Hats off to them. You know, they, they showed in the last six minutes that when they're focused, they can put away any team in the entire NBA. Um, you know, we can't give the, the Blazers enough flowers, though. They could have melted in. They had every reason to. And they came in and, and, and played their hearts out. We mentioned all the players that they were without. And, you know, the Lakers did turn around the one area that I was worried about, that, that free throw percentage. I thought, you know, spoke volumes to... 
you know, they they were ready for this game. You know, they had a couple of nights to worry about things outside the bubble. They they came in and handled business, and they they get a little bit extra rest now, and they look really good for either Houston or Oklahoma City, despite some of the positional advantages that one of those one or two of those teams may have over the Lakers. It may not amount to a, a series victory, but it could be you know a, a bit challenging for the Lakers. But they look good going into the next series, right? Absolutely. Yep. And then we will get to the game that happened today a little bit earlier. We had the Boston Celtics against the defending NBA champions, Toronto Raptors. And, Coach, I don't have anything nice to say. My parents told me if I didn't, don't say anything at all. Do you have something nice to say? Uh, I, if, if The only thing that could be somewhat ugly. <laughs> that's a bad word, but ugly. Yes, it was it was extremely ugly. It, and you know what's sad, and th- this is one of my takeaways. But we can kind of go out of order because I like you, Coach. I'm going to let my hair down, and I'm going to be a little <laughs> bit more myself than I normally am with Austin, right? But uh, I just, my goodness, man! Like in the third quarter, one of my takeaways was with two minutes left in the third quarter, there was not a single Toronto Raptor. That recorded double-digit figures, and I I credit that to a tweet that I that I saw from a Sherrard Blakely off of Twitter. So Sherrard, if you're listening, um, you know all credit to you. Hats off to you for that stat, and something that I probably would have went back and looked at anyway. But real time, you just made my life a little bit easier today. And that what an impressive stat, right, Coach? Yeah, because honestly, that's the lifeblood of the Toronto Raptors, where. You know, them having success is predicated on a combination, not even more than a combination, a several guys contributing in double figures. And to think they didn't achieve that until the one person didn't, mm-hmm. that, not a single person achieved double digits up until the third quarter. Exactly. Alarming. <laughs> Extremely. And then, um, you know, Kimball Walker was able to, or excuse me, not Kimball Walker, Kyle Lowry was able to break that, you know, a, abysmal stat with with free throws in in the third quarter going into the fourth. And, man, it was, I mean, I can't say that I'm upset because, as you know, like the, the Celtics are my team coming out of the East, and they just, they, they more than proved why I feel that way. Um, I would not have predicted the outcome. I felt like game one would have been more closer because I have the utmost respect for a coach like Nick Nurse, who won Coach of the Year. I felt that he was the most deserving, and but I mean, I still at the same at the in the same breath, I love Brad Stevens. He is right up there with Nick Nurse in my opinion. He's if Nick Nurse is at the top, Brad Stevens is only like a little bit behind him, because we've seen the consistent play. You know, the Celtics come into this series being. You know, a team that is in the top five on offense and defense, and they they completely flex that. And but to the Raptors' credit, they're also in that same token. So that's what made this victory more impressive to me, coach, is how evenly killed they are on paper. Yeah, and then you got to think about it. The Raptors have been literally by far one of the hottest teams in the bubble. The only time they lost, you know, they've only lost twice in the bubble. And they've been to Boston and back a band of 40 points. And you're like, do Boston have the secret sauce to beat Toronto? Is this just a mirage? 
And even they took care of business the minute, even in the regular season. So to mm-hmm. me, is this Boston team the kryptonite to to this potent Toronto off uh, to, to the Toronto Raptors team? And at this point, if we're looking at it on the surface today, August mm-hmm. 30, Boston is potentially their kryptonite. They could be a lot of a lot of teams kryptonite. Let's get into some of the some of the specifics here. Do you want to talk Celtic stats or Raptor stat first? Let's get the ugly. Let's get the bad. Let's get the ugly out first. Let's get, well, well, the ugly has to start with a guy who everyone said should have been in the running for most improved player for a consecutive year. A guy that teams or that people are saying deserves to be on all NBA first teams. A guy that should have been on MVP ballots, and that is Pascal C. Ockham. He finished with 13 points, three rebounds and two assists. And then if we go and look at the percentages here, he shot 31% from the floor. He shot 0% from downtown on three attempts. And he shot 50% from the line on one of two attempts. Coach, did you expect this game coming from Pascal Siakam? Spicy P? Spicy P himself. (laughs) I mean, a part of me, I mean... I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, to me, it's like I understand like people saying, well, you know, he's up his level. And we mm-hmm. all know that, you know, sometimes you do have bad games and stuff. But to me, it's just one of those things where, I mean, it may just be a mirage where it could just be this one game situation. But, I mean, you know, you ain't going to be on it every day. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, that's just – that just especially in this situation, especially with – and I, I was surprised they had him playing in the fourth quarter. I was really shocked. I was like – yeah. Like call the dogs off. I'm like I'm like I'm like the the um the, the guy in, in Rocky Four throwing the towel. Throwing the towel. Yeah. Because there's no need for you to leave him alone. Can't you see he's had enough? Right, and we've already learned kind of what happened with Kyle Lowry. You dodged a bullet. Mm-hmm. Him in the game, and you know against um who did they play last round. Day it's, 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 <laughs> the the Brooklyn basketball Brooklyn. team. Yes, Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> the Brooklyn basketball team. That I will not call them by their by their previously known name because they were not the Nets with that roster. They were the Brooklyn basketball team. <laughs> the, the, the fighting uh, Jock Vaughns. Yes, the the Brooklyn Vaughns. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, and that's another thing too. Where they and that's one thing I'm like, well, why you know why do you still have this team? And I understand like they they want to have this philosophy, like you mm-hmm. know you want to play to the whistle. But at the end of the day. This is a this is a loss. You get ready for Tuesday. You li- yep. you live to fight another day. You, you don't even watch game film. You don't even right. watch game film right. in this no. game. Toss it. You toss yeah. it. You well, with the it. team, Nick Nurse. Obviously, you got to watch the game film because you're, you're the head coach. Yeah. yeah. But you don't need to show. You don't need to show. No. Spicy P. This game. How about the? How about if we're talking about ugly and we're singing? You know, we're looking at the effort that the highly sung heroes of this team have been getting. How about the guy? Who is due for a big contract? Who's estimated to get somewhere maybe in the twenty million per year? A guy that everybody is talking about how versatile he is, including myself. How versatile he is and how he fits on almost every team. He's a winning player. He's a guy that you want in your corner. He's a dog, and that is Mr. Fred Van Vleezy. Van Vleezy. He had eleven points. He had eight assists, which is good, and then four rebounds. And let's talk about his efficiency, coach. Mr. Fred Van Vliese was 18.8% from the field. 
Moment of silence for Fred VanVleet. He was 18.2% from the three-point line on 11 attempts. Moment of silence. And then he did shoot 75% from, from the free-throw line, right? He, he did make three or four free-throw attempts. But, man, like, but, man, I, it, it's tough, man. And d- part of this is shooting luck. I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, Celtics are going to do this to the Raptors every game in a clean sweep. I'm not going to say that. I'm not, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a fool, right? Part of this is shooting luck. But Boston did play really good defense. They they played really good defense, and if you look at the rest of the team, we're not going to give a big moment of silent moment for everybody on this roster, right? But Kyle Lowry shot forty one percent from the field, twenty percent from deep, and sixty seven percent from the free throw line. Serge Ibaka shot forty percent from the field, forty two percent from deep, which is good, and a hundred percent from the line. But on ten attempts from the floor, and you only make four, and mo- and three of them are coming from the three point line, you're not really being all that efficient. Norman Powell shot 33% from the floor, 40% from the three-point line, and had zero shot attempts from the free throw line. Mark Gasol, 43% from the floor, 0% from deep on zero of three attempts, and was one of two from the free throw line. That's the majority of their offense. And we talked about how inefficient they were. And they, they missed a lot of corner threes. That was another area that they were getting criticized on, where, as in turn, Boston could not. It seemed like they just could not miss from outside. What do you think about the overall team performance, though, from, from the Raptors? Obviously, we know it's bad. Like We can just sit here and say they did a poor job. Are you worried? Is it anything broken? I mean, I think when you the, the telling stat when you uh, were talking, the free throw attempts, that lets me know, like, you guys weren't aggressive at all. Like mm-hmm. we didn't, you know, try to, you know, try to draw fouls. And yeah. that's another thing where you're like, okay. <clears throat> and and I can only really go based solely on what we've seen in the past. This is something that we're like, okay, you know, this could be alarming. Like to me, um, if if there's a panic meter one to ten, I'm at a high five. But like I'm thinking more of a six. Yeah, I, my my yeah. initial gut when you led into that was I'm at a six if I'm Toronto. Yeah. But I'm gonna tell you one thing: if 48 hours from now when they play and the boss is up 2-0, I'm about to be like Paul Pierce and just say this series is over. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, if if it gets to that point, it's like I'm I'm gonna really I'll be like Paul Pierce. I will fall on the sword and say. This series is over. Yeah, I don't know if I. So I don't want to be Paul Pierce. I mean, I, I want to oh, be. Yeah, that's right. Oh, we, oh, oh, we kiss of death. No, no. I want to be. I want to be paid like Paul Pierce, but I don't want to be Paul Pierce. Yeah. Um, it's. I won't say two zero. I'll feel that way, even though I will feel really good about the Boston Celtics, and if they do go two zero. If it is three one, like there's no chance. There's no chance that Toronto yeah. would come back from from that type of a deficit. Maybe even three two. If it's three two, I I don't feel like yeah. we, we could talk about that if that if any of it gets to that point. But I think that the Raptors shooting luck was a big deal in this. They got in foul trouble early, right? If you watched like the opening five minutes, like. 
they could not get it going at all. They were turning the ball over so often in the first quarter. They were fouling a lot. And to me, I don't think that they ever really got away from like how blown back they were about how turnover-prone and how foul-prone that they were. And I don't think that they were able to recover from the amount of calls that they were going against them so early. I just felt like they just that got that stuck in their head is what I feel like happened. Yeah. And you know, game game two, then come back and be able to play a little bit more fluid offensively, and it could we could probably be singing different story. We'll be whistling a different tune, you know, come yeah. three days from now, right? But yeah. we can we'll focus back to the Celtics, right? If you look at it, um, Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart both had 21 points. Kimber Walker had 18. Jalen Brown had 17. Daniel Tice had 13 and 15. Yeah. And how about the Time Lord? Got great playing time today, and he looked good, man. Mm-hmm. Robert Williams, he had, let me see here, he had 10 points, 5 rebounds, a couple blocks. I mean, he. this dude had a combined, I got this from a stat from somebody else on Twitter, and I forgot who it was. I, I didn't even think about using him. But did you know that he's played in, I think, 16 playoff games? And combined in those 16 playoff games, he's recorded a total of 6 points. And then to come back in a game like this, where he's, playing you know pretty good minutes yeah you know he he played let's see here he played 19 minutes and put up 10 and 5 it's pretty good yeah and and played decent defense and that's like the first meaningful time that he's gotten the playoffs and he he looked really 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 solid on this team were you surprised by any of the numbers that i said by any of the players i not really i mean well except for williams but robert williams but other than that I mean, but the thing is, he had opportunities. He had more time. Compared exactly. To so that's another thing, too, where, you know, he does have an ability. He just haven't had the, the minutes. But this is how, kind of how Boston is. Boston is almost in a weird way. They're like a pick your poison. Like one day, Kimber can go off. Yep. Kim can go off. Hell, Marcus Smart can go off. Like Marcus Smart had, what, 21 a day, didn't he? He did. He, he was tied yeah. for team high. Tied for team high. And that's another thing that scares me about that team. And then, and we talked about, and I talked about this on, on ad nauseum. Just um, and then, just imagine they would have had Haywood on this team. Like yeah, and I, and they're I, missing a guy that can give you twenty a night. Right. He's he's by far the best fourth option in NBA history. <laughs> like I know that's that's a little hyperbole. It is. I'm sure, but like, can you name a fourth option that can give you twenty a night? Modern day, like to have him as a fourth option, Jordan's get ready to give him the kitchen sink in Charlotte. Like, I mean, yeah. he's in the back deal. Like, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, and that's one thing, too. That's one thing with, with Boston. Like, you know, and I was, you know, just as high as you with Boston because Boston, they have a team where, you know, they have enough guys where it's like, you know, if they can afford to have maybe two or three guys have a bad game. Yeah. And they can have somebody step up. Like, and, you know, if people say the next man, um, next man up – this to me, by far, between them and like Milwaukee, are the two teams I can say I could be comfortable and say, well, okay, well, I may be comfortable with the next man up. Yeah, and because they could give it to you for any, any almost right. every position. And that's the scary thing about Boston, and they're in this in this freaking scary thing about it. They're young. Yes. They're young. Yes. They're like <laughs> they're frighteningly young, and it's just to a point where they're going they're they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And kudos to Danny H. And he got a lot of guys, too, as far as rotate, uh, in and out of rotation that are just, you know, that's just scratching the surface in this league. 
Yeah, you got guys like uh, Romeo Langford, uh, Grant Williams. Grant you know, Williams. Car- Carson Edwards doesn't even get minutes on this team. Right. You know, Taco and, um, Fall. And then the kid, <laughs> they still got they had a kid from Notre Dame. Um, oh, what's his name? Boss. Uh, what's his name? It's all with a B. Are you talking about Brad Wanamaker? Because I don't think that he went there. Nah, he um, there, no. Um, uh, they Simeon Jolie is not him. No. Uh, Tremont Waters went to LSU. No, I don't was, see. I don't see anybody that's currently on this team. I, that might be might be confused, but yeah. yeah, I mean, like Romeo Langford, a guy who you know was at Indiana for a year, was supposed to be like one of this, you know, can't miss players. dudes. Yeah. Still a good player in his own right in Indiana, but he kind of somewhat. I don't know. I guess nowadays we live in a world where everybody is an underachiever if they don't, you know. But he was fair. He was. He did a great yeah. job. Yeah. But like you said, that's another guy who has you know the talent that's that's not even you know that's in and out of their rotation, and that's scary. Boston is really scary going forward. Like Boston is, to me, is going to be the future of this Eastern Conference. Yeah, and you because you talk about how Jalen Brown and. Jason Tatum are under twenty, like twenty three and under club. They're not even a part of that twenty five and under club. They're even, they're even beneath that, and they're playing well. So how about we look at the efficiency, right? Jason Tatum was fifty percent from the floor, forty percent from deep, and hundred percent from the free throw line. Jalen Brown was a lowly thirty three percent from the floor, thirty three percent from deep, and sixty seven percent from the free throw line. So this is what you were speaking about earlier. He can have a 33% from the floor night and this team can still win by 20 something points right? because you're getting efficiency from a guy like Kimball Walker, who was 54% from the floor, 57% from deep and a hundred percent from the free, from the free throw line. Marcus smart giving you six to 10 from the floor, 60%. He was 55.6% from deep on nine attempts and he was four for four on the, from the free throw line. And then you bring in a guy like Robert Williams, who was five of five from the floor, and two, and, but he missed both of his free throw attempts. So he could have walked away in this game with as many points as he had minutes if he was a good free throw shooter, right? So yeah. you're talking about a a guy who come in, give you a point a minute off the bench, shoot, and can block shots. Trouble. <laughs> Trouble. And he is a guy. Enos Canner didn't even play. They got zero minutes from Enos Canner. So I mean, this, Boston man, Boston is scary, and they will probably lose the next game because <laughs> I'm singing so much praise. I'm telling you, they're gonna have to because if they, if they, I mean, I ain't they have to, but I mean, mm-hmm. to me, like you know, because if they lose, if they if they beat Toronto, I'm like and have a two zero lead. It would depend on the margin of victory. It would depend on the margin. Not calling for a sweep. But you can, I, I'm almost about to be like, I tell you, if this if this does happen, on, and I might just do like Charles Park, yo, I guarantee, guarantee. that Boston is going yep. to beat Toronto. I guarantee. Gar- we need to tell Charles Barkley to not say that, though. <laughs> right. And then if you, you know, and if and, and if I'm wrong, I will, I, well, I, I wish we were still in the, in the same area. We could. I, I, you know, I'll have a, you, you, I'll have a broom, mm-hmm. and break the broom, you know, to, to prove me wrong. Yeah, I mean, broom, I'm not I really saying, think. I won't say, I won't say get you a broom if they go to and all, but I'll say maybe get you one of the little tiny little, 
little sweepers or maybe a vacuum is a vacuum worse or better i think a vacuum is better maybe we should say get your vacuums out for sweeps now because they're stronger it's less there's less manpower involved but (laughs) so anyway uh my key takeaways marcus smart we we need to do a segment on this marcus smart is the best glue guy in the nba in my eyes just and i'm speaking straight from the heart no evidence no speculation, no in-depth analysis. But Marcus Smart is just a dude that he's not a star. He's not an all-star. He's an all-NBA defensive teamer. He's not a most improved. He's not an MVP. He's not like getting votes for anything else except defense. And he's not the first, second, or third leading scorer on his team. Not even the fourth. To me, he's the best glue guy in the entire NBA did you see the defensive assignments that he had in this game? Yeah. And, Pascal Siakam. Right. Mark Gasol. And that's what makes him so valuable where, especially, and we talked about it earlier, in this game, he's there, He's tied for that leading score. Like, you're getting this from a guy who, in essence, we look at him as like, well, don't read the box score with him. You need to see what he does in the game. Like, mm-hmm. You know, so if you look at his stats, you're like, oh, well, he didn't do nothing. But, no, if you literally sit down and watch the game, like you said, his his defensive assignments, what he does, the gritness, the toughness the, mm-hmm. that he possessed, and then you get 21 from him today, that's like. Shooting 55% from deep. Five, 55% from deep on nine attempts. Right. This is the Oklahoma State. Marcus Smart that you got. This is not the, the you know, uh, the role player that we have now. This is a guy, and that's another thing, too, where he can turn it on. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing where, you know, how often can you have blue guys like that that can, that can contribute like that? And, and He's an Andre Iguodala type dude for this team. Yeah. A, a middle-class Andre Iguodala. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you said, and it could be a situation I can't, because he would be a one, like you said, if, if if he would be more likely to be a Finals MVP more than anything. You know, we yep. like that he's not an All Star. He'll never probably be, you know, as far as a first team performer, or you know, any of that. Or a second, or even a third. But if I had to, if I had to, as far as give him a superlative, he would be more likely to be a Finals MVP because, like you said, because he's. He's a glue guy. He's the one that guards your, your toughest perimeter player. He's a great perimeter defender. Even post player. Right. He guard right. he'll guard, I guarantee you, if they line up against Milwaukee. Right. If they do. Right. They will be he will be the guy to guard Giannis. Yes. Guarantee it. And he will guard him and, and will give him fits. And get him in foul trouble because right. he's not and when you think about like dudes that are just heady defenders or like these like grit and grind defensive dudes. Does he have a tendency? Every once in a while, does he make like a, a risque decision? Like, sure. But yeah. overall, he's not like one of those dudes that's like looking to like get in your head like verbally. You know, he's the dude right. that's just going to give it to you every night. And right. no when you're talking about Boston being able to say, oh, Gordon Hayward, a guy that can give you 20 points a night, you can't play, that's that's cool, man. We'll just, Marcus, right. you'll just, Marcus, just come in and start, bro. Just come in and start. Your fourth option averaged seventeen point seven points per game. He gets hurt for four weeks. It's just like, okay. I guess we got to start Marcus Smart. 
guess we're gonna do something. And that's and that's the thing where Boston is just it's just so you know, and kudos to Danny Age for what he's done. And I've always been kind of critical. I always kind of thought he's kind of like passive a little bit more conservative, mm-hmm. but done the right moves that he needed as far as creating the depth that they have now. Where I kind of like, well, he's sitting on all these draft picks, and at one time those draft picks didn't come to fruition, but now they've came to fruition, and you're like, okay, well now we're seeing kind of like the plan and the orchestration of it. And to me, yeah, like and going back to Marcus Smart, where. He was another guy, and that's one thing, too, I loved about him because he was a guy that coming out of Oklahoma State, we were like, oh, he's going to be a one-and-done guy. He came, he stayed for his sophomore year. Mm-hmm. You know, we figured, okay, well, you know, because he was a very high-volume scorer in Oklahoma State, and then he goes to a Boston team where he has fit into a role and has played his role to the up-team degree. And gotten better every year. He got better, and, he's in, and better and more efficient, and – He's the guy that you need, especially if, you know. He's made more three-pointers this year than, than Devin Booker. Right. And How much money do you would you pay him a year if you were a team? Whew. Like, comfortably. I, ooh. I wouldn't give him, part of me, I would 15, 20 plus. So 12, 12 is a bargain. 12 is a bargain. That's what they're I, paying him. I'll put it this way. I would be okay 17-18. Yeah. Or more. But I think 17-18 is where I would at least initially start. Yeah, and it, yeah, and he's he's making twelve million dollars this year. Right. And you're getting him at such a you know, right. And, and the reason I brought this up was you mentioned Danny Ainge. Like Danny Ainge, he got he's already paid Jalen Brown and he's Jalen Brown is already outperforming his contract. Jason Tatum is due for a payday. He'll probably get the super max, yeah. Right, but you're having guys come off of contract money here soon with Gordon Hayward. You know he's got a team option. He'll probably take. You know, and Jason Tatum's getting paid for the next few years. But they got this lined out, man, to where they can have like good players on this team for a long time because of the, you know, financial trickery that Danny Ainge has been up to in, in Beantown, right? Yeah. Yeah, and just the other things that I want to say. Um, you know they played well on both sides of the ball. This is when when you think of NBA champions, they have to be those type of teams that are able to do it on both ends of the floor. Boston is, you know, top five on both sides as far as efficiency. Brad Stevens is out is like is coaching guys to the the best of their production. Like Daniel Tice has no will probably not be this good on any other team at all. Like Daniel Tice would not be the, the dude that he is on this squad, and. I know that we've talked about this at, at nauseum because I know that you're a big Luka guy. I know that you're a big Luka Doncic guy. Dude, I'm telling you, tonight, nights like this is exactly why I would pick, if I'm starting a franchise, not who is the better player, if I'm starting a franchise and I could pick between the two of them, I, I lean towards Jason Tatum for all the boxes that he checks, man. He's clutched. Did you see that one-second shot that he had in the fourth quarter that he yeah. nailed off of one leg? You know, he reads passing lanes. He'll poke the ball out and go out and transition and dunk the ball. And he's a phenomenal shooter from mid-range, free throw, and three-point. Like, three-level three level score. I mean, he give it to you anyway, and he's efficient in almost all of those areas, man. Yeah. He's, he's that dude to me, man. Yeah. Yeah. 
I know that he's not a triple double machine like Mr. Luka Doncic, <laughs> but uh, yeah. both of them, the league is in great hands. You're 100 percent correct. These guys are amazing, especially Tatum. It's like at you know, falling in college. You know, I remember he had a breakout game against us, of course, Tar Heels, and I like he he grew up, and it's crazy how he's like has leveled up in such a miraculous way where it's just like every it seemed like every level that he went he just skyrocketed and i remember he had a hell of a performance against us in the acc tournament and then it catapulted him to you know going to the nba and being the third overall pick and then now what he's doing with boston where he's definitively the guy in boston like yeah. no questions like there isn't a any there is no like you know there is a clear you know that this is man is the man in Boston. So there's no there's now an established pecking order, is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. We this... know we know the Boston Celtics. You fall in line, and it's with Jason Tatum. He's but the good thing is, is that like you, we we keep saying it over and over. And I promise, I'm not a Boston homer. I'm from Arkansas. If my accent doesn't give it away for people who don't know, uh, mm-hmm. even though he's that talented, man, like Marcus Smart matched him point for point tonight. Yeah. You know, like that's the dangerous thing about Boston is that you're gonna get it from Tatum. It's just who else are you gonna shut down? You held Brown to thirty three percent from the floor overall and you still lost by twenty points. You know what I mean? Like that's scary. You hit you kept their second, you can maybe make an argument that he's third best player on this team to thirty three percent of the floor and you still got waxed. You know, that's it's not a good look for anybody. And Boston could do this to any team, man. It's not just a – I don't think it's just a series matchup thing. They could do this to any team. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Coach, that, that does it for the uh, for the show tonight, for the, the talking points that we had. It is an honor and a privilege to have you on. I know We just did a show earlier this morning. I got up at 6.30 in the morning and got ready just to hang out with you earlier. And we talked about our top five video games, which was – I really enjoyed that show, man. Yeah. Jeff did a good job in, in yes. fixing that up. Yes. Yeah, man. But um, we're, we're gonna we're about to close out. Um, I just want to let the fans know that in honor and respect of uh, Mr. Chadwick Boseman, who tragically passed away a couple nights ago, um, ABC is going to be airing the Black Panther tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern without any sort of televised breaks or anything like that. It's going to be straight through. And then right after that, they're going to have like a like an honorary tribute to Chadwick. And I'm sure they're going to get into, you know, all the roles that he's had, the spectacular job he's done in the community. You know, the just the tremendous human being that he was, man. Uh, we talk about how close-knit the NBA community is. It felt like he was a member, of, like he was a former player in the NBA, you know what I mean? Like because of how involved he was, you know, in all-star events, you know. We've seen him at award shows with with Kobe Bryant. You know, we've seen him on you know the TNT. You know, talking with the guys. Uh, he just felt like he was an honorary NBA player, man. Yeah. And just tragic loss for him. You know, we lost uh, Mr. Lute earlier as well, and you know uh, Cliff Robinson as well. It was past couple days, man. It, buddy of mine told me that it had come in threes, and he wasn't lying. You know, that was. Big loss on top of you know the already hurting things that we've been dealing with in our in our nation as well, and you know just to get a little bit of hope and light back in the world, you know, watch you some Black Panther tonight because you know 
Chadwick but my my son's favorite superhero is Black Panther. He like has a he has Black Jam uh, Black Panther pajamas. He wanted me or he wants to he wanted me at one point to call him T'Challa, which I guess would make me T'Chaka, you know, to be to be his daddy. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, I mean, just the impact that he had was wide ranging and is a, a significant loss. So yeah, just I wanted to put that out um, for anybody who did not know or who is interested, you know. You know, tune in to watch you some Black Panther tonight and, yeah. you know, just reflect on an incredible human being. But, um, Coach, uh, we're going to wrap up, man. I just want to give you the floor. You're my, you know, now the Off the Ball Network. We're colleagues now. We're not yes. just friends, you know, not just friends, but we're colleagues and friends now. Yes. Um, I know that you've done a couple episodes lately for your, for your podcast, man. Just let the viewers and listeners know what you got going on. Yeah, so um, once again, I'm, I'm host of the Couch Coach Live podcast. Um, check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Also, check out the podcast, anywhere you get podcasts, um, Spotify, Apple, and what have you. Um, we just did a, a, a Big 12 preview, so we previewed that. I shout yes. out to Zach from the uh, Blue Bloods podcast. And also, we did a, um, of course, we do podcasts on Tuesday nights. Then also we had a special guest on our pod last Monday, uh, Jones Angel, the uh, play-by-play voice. Yep. Well, my beloved um, North Carolina Tar Heel. Congratulations basketball. on landing that man. Yes, yes, yes. Appreciate it. Definitely must definitely appreciate that. Yeah, yes. that tremendous. Go and go and check out Coach's work. Uh, you know, people watching and listening now or later. He's a tremendous guy. You know, he's he's become a you know a great friend to me, a great friend of the show. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to know him and to, and to be colleagues with him now here on the Off the Ball Network. Um, go, obviously, go and check out that website is offtheballnetwork.com. Coach, you have, you know, a piece on there that I felt was really, really um, well written. I thought that you did a great job on your takeaways there from the bubble. Um, you know, just can't sing praises enough about you, man. Just Thanks. go and check out all the great stuff that Coach is doing. And once again, I definitely appreciate you for having me on today. It's it's an honor. I always say hey, when you hit me up, I'm like, hey, I I'm down. I'm always, you know, I'm down. And I I definitely appreciate of your work. I love what you're doing. Like you know, as far as I just love how you, your preparation and just you're 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 literally breaking the game. And you're doing <laughs> you're literally doing what your podcast entails. And that is something that is is authentic. And it's something that just resonates. And you know that, hey, when you listen to this podcast, you know that you're going to get in-depth analysis and, and advanced stats where you can't, you can't get that nowhere else. Man, and, and you're, you're speaking to my heart, man, and I appreciate it. And I, I love that I've had to have you on today. And uh, now's the part where I got to you know, start patting myself on the back, even though that's not really my style. As you can see, I just put up a lot of cool swag and buttons and stuff. You know, my, my guy Jeff, if you're watching now or later and listening, uh, you're you're the the pod father of this, so to speak. Yes. You know, Bill Simmons is the pod father. But when you're talking about like setting up your your banners and, and your branding and stuff like that, Jeff, you're the dude. You did a great job of that earlier with our video game one that we did, which was cool. But um, you know, as for me here again, before I close, just prayers up for. Austin and his family. Um, you can't speak enough to you know in the short time that I've known him. What a what a class act he is. What a tremendous job he's done here on the show to make us as successful as we are. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at BTG NBA Pod. 
I'm going to ask you for an assist. Usually Austin does this. And you can follow us on Instagram at BTG NBA pod. Yeah, there you go. There you go. You got it. <laughs> and you can, you can find our podcast anywhere. Podcasts are available, Breaking the Game. Um, I, I've made it. It has been brought to my attention that on some platforms you still have to search Breaking the Game with Stephen Gillespie. That's not some sort of secretive, um, you know, prideful thing that I'm doing to slant against Austin. I, I think that there's a, a thing that I have to do with my RSN to fix that. I'm going to work on that. But, you know, we're almost to the 500 download mark for the month. You know, obviously the month is almost over. Any support and love that I get on breaking that barrier would be much appreciated. And you can email me at breakingthegamepodcast at gmail.com to let me know that you helped out with that, and I will give you a special shout-out here on the show. But as for you, the viewers and the listeners, you guys have been awesome. You know, we have been the Breaking the Game podcast with outstanding special guest, Couch Coach of Couch Coach Live. We will catch up with y'all next time. Much love, everybody. Don't be racist, as uh, Chris LeBron likes to say. And y'all have a good day.